2: It's 8.30 on Thursday, October 4th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi Attorney General Jim Hood is announcing his bid for governor. What made him take the leap?
3: I come for you uh, humbly today and announce our campaign for governor of the state of Mississippi.
2: Then find out why advocates against domestic violence say crucial funds are at risk if the federal legislators don't act. Plus, we'll hear from an expert on domestic violence in Mississippi. And as literacy requirements are becoming more of a challenge for Mississippi youth, educators and advocates are joining the State Department of Education in getting the word out on how parents and caregivers can help. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Attorney General Jim Hood is now officially a candidate for governor in 2019. Hood is currently the only Democrat holding statewide office in Mississippi. He made the announcement from the steps of the Chickasaw County Courthouse in his hometown of Houston.
3: I think as, as if I've got one characteristic, it's been that I, I hopefully, uh, no one will ever say I, I ever changed from when I grew up at Hawkins, Mississippi in first through eighth grade and, and, and came to Houston and finished high school and Uh, have have uh, uh, worked for the people. And so I I come for you uh, humbly today and announce our campaign for governor of the state of Mississippi.
2: Hood, who has served as district attorney for the third judicial district prior to being elected attorney general in 2003, recounted his work and educational experience before a crowd of supporters. He says he hopes to work with all Mississippians toward an improved state.
3: After uh, graduating here in Houston, I went to Ole Miss and I went to State one semester in the oil business. I was working in that and it went down uh, and so I, I went back to Ole Miss and finished up. In fact, I was hesitant about wearing a red and blue tie this morning because my friends from Mississippi State might say, well, that's, that's Ole Miss and so I let Debbie pick out the tie and she said, you know, that tie is red and blue. And we've been fighting uh, uh, red and blue for years. People, and Republicans and Democrats, have been fighting for years, and it's time that we came together and right. fought, fought together yeah. for the state of Mississippi.
2: Attorney General Hood took time to address issues and challenges facing the Magnolia State, like the growth rate and low wages. He says the state economy should support more Mississippians staying in the state.
3: It's time to put our families first uh, here in Mississippi, and we've got to build an economy where we can have our children to stay here. You know, I I, I said church these Sundays ago when I started noticing the backs of the, I'm I'm a back row Baptist, uh, Brother Daniel knows, knows that, and, uh, uh, I sat there and looked at the backs of the heads of the people who, uh, they were, they were my friend's parents and thought of how many of my friends have had to move away, uh, from our hometown, our wonderful hometown. And then how many of my friends who were there whose, their kids had to move away. And so that is a result of just a, a, an, an economy that has caused, uh, the lack of jobs and the lack of opportunities uh, for our families.
2: Hood says Mississippians deserve a more equal system on issues like health care and education.
3: You know, how do we fix this thing? How do we how do we fix it? You know there's so many people that tell you what's wrong and whose fault it is, but not telling you how to fix it. And some of the things that we have to do is, first we've got to stop giving away our money. Yeah. Giving away yeah. tax cuts tax. Corporations uh, uh, out of state that that don't need it. We need to invest in in our, our our main street businesses and and manufacturers and and people in our state. You know we we've got to start start by building bridges and building roads. I mean when working people are swinging hammers, that's the way you move the economy up. Yeah. That's right. You know building roads, just repairing our roads. That's seven to eight thousand jobs a year uh, that that we we could have going on, and that's again working people swinging hammers when you're building those kind of things. We could be building uh, medical clinics and, and expanding our medical care with billions in federal dollars that we have an opportunity to do. We need to, to uh, work harder in job training skills. And I'm so proud of my my county and the five counties around here that if you want to go to a community college and get those tech skills so that we have trained people for manufacturers to come in that can work in those facilities, they can go to Etowahma Community College tuition free. If, if, if they keep a 2-0 average, it cost our county $22,000 last year. You know, if our county can do it, then then other counties in the state can do
2: it. Mississippi Attorney General Jim Hood. Hood says his campaign would also focus on creating jobs and rebuilding Mississippi's infrastructure. Chairman of the Mississippi Republican Party, Lucian Smith, says in a statement, the governor isn't the chief prosecutor, he's the chief policymaker. Next year's election will be about what sort of policy Mississippians want from their government. To see our team's updates throughout the day, follow MPB News on Twitter. Coming up, find out why advocates against domestic violence say crucial funds are at risk if the federal legislators don't act. Plus, we'll hear from an expert on domestic violence in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: Hi everyone, I'm Russ Robinson inviting you to join us right here on MPB for Friday night under the lights. We'll get you all the scores and keep you up to date on all the players at 10 p.m. every Friday night this fall. Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Friday night under the lights.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Advocates against domestic violence are joining law enforcement and officials in the call for crucial funds for support programs and training. The Violence Against Women Act of 1994 is a federal law now up for renewal. Attorney General Jim Hood's office is joining with attorneys general from all states and five territories, urging Congress to reauthorize the act before it expires. They say it reduces the rate of sexual violence and addresses the devastating effects of the crime. Paula Broom is Director of the Domestic Violence in the State Attorney General's Office. She tells us how the act benefits the state.
4: The Violence Against Women Act, it was passed in uh, 1994, uh, and it was an act uh, specifically to address domestic violence crimes and has since expanded to sex crimes, stalking, primarily uh, intimate partner-type violence, and initially was looking at the crimes against women. Uh, now, the act does not just address women any longer because uh, men are certainly receive benefits through the funding of the act. Was it
2: the act that led to uh, the Domestic Violence Unit at the Mississippi AG's office?
4: Grant funding from the act certainly um, helped to establish the Domestic Violence Division at this office. But uh, our division came around in 2006, so the act had been around uh, for more than a decade, at that point,
2: how is the funding from the federal government used?
4: Currently, it funds an attorney's position, uh, and it, it covers some of the travel for that attorney. In the division, we we train, we provide training to law enforcement officers, to court personnel, uh, medical um, advocates. So. The Act allows us to have an additional attorney on staff to help cover the the demands, the requests for training. Uh, We also uh, spend time on um, answering questions. If we're not out in the field training, uh, we'll get a lot of phone calls from professionals in the civil and criminal justice system with questions about what the law is. So we we will answer those questions as well. Uh, We also have the specific arrest grant through VAVA, which is the Sex Crimes Grant, and that too funds an attorney's position, uh, and an investigator's position, and it's primarily a training grant. But through that grant, we also were able to establish a scholarship program for nurses to attend the 40-hour sexual assault nurse examiner's course. We offer that course uh, three times a year for the adult same course and then uh, a couple of times a year for a pediatric same course, uh, so nurses who come uh, want to come to that 40-hour training, they can apply for a scholarship.
2: So certainly there are a lot of programs, a lot of comprehensive programs with training and all that you've mentioned that is a result of that funding and would be a great loss if it were to go away. Is that fair to say?
4: That, that is fair to say, but uh, the AG's office is not the only office that receives this funding. Uh, throughout the state, there's a lot of money Goes to like law enforcement agencies to fund um, an officer's position. Uh, DA's offices use it to fund some of their positions. Uh, certainly, the uh, victims' uh, shelters or victim centers use it. Uh, so, for VAWA to go away, I mean, it's, we were not talking about it just an impact on the attorney general's office. We're talking about statewide of the programs, the personnel that depend on the funding just to keep jobs, just to keep shelters open. So uh it would it would have a huge impact on the state if it were to go away. Because attorneys general
2: from all fifty states plus some territories are urging Congress to reauthorize this, is there any reason to think it wouldn't be reauthorized?
4: I wouldn't think it wouldn't be. But you know, I I don't know, with each new administration uh you kinda wait to see where where's the priorities gonna be and uh, this funding has such a huge impact nationwide uh, with the Attorney General's uh, reaching out to Congress. I-, I would think that carries some weight and the act survives.
2: Does the Mississippi legislature have any
4: power to designate where those funds go? The only power they have are the funds that throw, flow to the state to be subgranted out. To, uh agencies, and those funds go to the Office Against Interpersonal Violence, uh, which is under the Department of Health. And the legislature played a role in, in, in establishing legislation that that's where uh, those funds would come in, or at least I, I should say the governor's office uh, has a role in that.
2: Does the Violence Against Women Act expire at the end of the year?
4: Yes, I believe the sunset is at the end of end of this year.
2: Paula Broom is the director of the Domestic Violence Unit in the Mississippi Attorney General's Office. Paula, thank you very much for being with us. You're welcome. Wendy Mahoney is executive director of the Mississippi Coalition Against Domestic Violence. She tells us why the act is important.
0: The Violence Against Women Act um, does a number of different things. One of the things that it does is it funds for law enforcement to deal with the batter. In the batter's intervention programs, we have a number of uh, investigators and law enforcement uh, set aside to deal with um, incidents of domestic violence so many prevention mechanisms are in place for the Violence Against Women Act, such as making sure that teens uh, have an understanding of dating violence. So we're looking at dating violence. We're looking at the economic impact of domestic violence, um, the medical aspects, and the number of individuals who are hospitalized because of domestic violence. So the Violence Against Women Act is very important because it legitimizes the work that we do, and it's a supports advocates um, throughout the country and uh, doing the work they do to support victims and survivors of domestic violence.
2: Mahoney says reporting incidents in Mississippi is inconsistent. She tells us more.
0: This is what is really going on in the state of Mississippi. Um, we don't accurately report law enforcement. Um, we rely on them to report incidents of domestic violence. And we just passed in last year's legislative session uh, a bill to really implement um, data, being able to keep up with data, and uh, the reporting system is the National Incidents-Based Reporting System (NIBRS), and so that went into effect. And our office, with a number of other organizations, are really working uh, to make sure that law enforcement uh, has the software and the 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 what they need to be able to report accurately. So, so it's a,
2: it's a matter of the law enforcement agencies entering it
0: directly into a database? That is correct. And so we just have not kept up with that information good in our state. I'd probably say, I think the statistics say 25 to 30 percent of law enforcement have accurately reported incidents of domestic violence. And so our goal over the next three years or so uh, is to make sure that they have that reporting system, um, that they're trained accurately on it to be able to accurately report the incidents of domestic violence. Let me
2: ask, you some anecdotal uh, yes. questions then. Yes. If someone reports that they've been beaten, what are the odds that that person has been beaten more than what they've reported and will continue to be beaten?
0: Usually in domestic violence, or as we say, in a personal violence, there are Typically, is where a person has been uh, abused prior to. Now, if it is a one-time thing, we usually say it's situational, uh, or it's a, you know just an incident. You know, you get into a heated uh, argument or something, and then there there um, is something there um, that happens physically. But with domestic violence, we know it's a pattern of course of behavior. So if it's a pattern, more than likely the individual has been physically assaulted um, prior to the incident being reported, and then possibly uh, again after. What do our
2: listeners need to know about domestic violence? What are the signs? What are the misconceptions?
0: There's so many different signs. Um, If someone isolates, um, they're just not themselves, they may feel as though that their partner, they over-sensationalize that person. You know, oh, this person is such a wonderful person and that type of thing. And a lot of times it's just knowing that this person is not uh, responding in conversations like they used to, um, may not want to talk as much. There are a number of different things. And it usually is for those that are close to an individual, family members to really recognize that something is going on when the person is acting differently, a lot of people feel as though, "Why don't they just leave?" They, you know, the misconceptions is, "Oh, you allow that person to be you. You allow that person to verbally assault you." and all of those things. And it's just not that way. Or telling someone, oh, just leave. Just leave is not always... There's so many factors to just leaving. You know, you think about even when you get ready to move out of your own house, or if you get ready to change jobs, it's not always just do it. It's so many other factors that come into place. And that's the same thing in in a relationship, whereas, you know, you may have children that are involved, you know, your household things that you have together within a household, insurance. I mean, the list can go on and on and on, whereas people say just leave. And also the statistics show that a person who chooses to leave a relationship is 500 times more at risk because the abuser... Five hundred percent, yes. So that means of imminent danger being that, remember... Domestic violence is rooted in power and control. So if that person feels as though they're about to lose their power and control and this is what they thrive off of, oh, that's when those Those statements come in, if I can't have you, nobody else will. You you won't leave me. I'm not going to allow this to happen. And, you know, a lot more incidents of that when a person gets ready to leave or stands up for themselves in a way, um, they're in more danger. And also, you're in greater risk if the person has a firearm in the home as well. So those are things that people really need to understand. Does that apply also to calling 911? that by calling
2: the police, that by involving law enforcement, you're putting yourself at risk?
0: Absolutely. So that's why it's so important um, to call, you know, some of our shelter programs throughout the state or the National Domestic Violence Hotline to come up with a safety plan. You need a safety plan to be able to exit with some support and assistance. So it reduces the factor of imminent danger or something real tragic happening.
2: Wendy Mahoney is the executive director of the Mississippi Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Wendy, thanks for coming in. Thank you. The coalition's ninth annual Purple for Peace Luncheon is being held today at the Jackson Hilton. Visit their website for details. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Coming up as literacy requirements are becoming more of a challenge for Mississippi youth, educators and advocates are joining the State Department of Education in getting the word out on how parents and caregivers can help. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Russ Robinson, inviting you to join us right here on MPB for Friday Night Under the Lights. We'll get you all the scores and keep you up to date on all the players at 10 p.m. every Friday night this fall. Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Friday Night Under the Lights.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The State Department of Education will begin holding regional meetings with Mississippi parents today. Beginning this year, third grade students must score at level three or higher on the state reading test to be promoted to fourth grade. This is a higher level than what was previously required. During the meetings, MDE staff will share information and strategies to help parents prepare their children for the new standards. Michael Cormack is chief executive officer of Mississippi Literacy Advocacy Organization, the Barksdale Reading Institute. The former principal of Quitman County Elementary School tells us more about the act and tools parents can use to build literacy in their children.
1: The Literacy-Based Promotion Act ensures and works to ensure that students uh, are proficient grade-level readers uh, before entering fourth grade. And so um, over the, the past four years uh, since implementation, uh, students take a end-of-course exam in, in reading skills to see and uh, to measure them against a bar of proficiency. And of course, Um, The Literacy-Based Promotion Act also put together an uh, assembled group of uh, teachers and other experts in the field to look at those standards for proficiency ever so often uh, and to make some recommendations. And so uh, this year we are uh, shifting the bar for proficiency um, so that it more accurately reflects um, what students need to know and be able to do in order to really be able to tackle uh, fourth grade reading skills.
2: And I guess that a teacher would know, you know, by the start of third grade, the end of second grade, that there may be some problems there and what the child can do.
1: Yes, absolutely. And so I think a a real key component of that law was to insist that uh, if we're going to have a retention law and measure at third grade, that we have to start way earlier than third grade. And so um, uh, an important focus in the legislation and across Mississippi has been How do we ensure in the earlier grades that students really are able to master and successfully um, become beginning readers, um, beginning in kindergarten um, and even beginning in pre-kindergarten? What are the skills that they need um, to, to really tackle and be successful? And we have, as a result, also a kindergarten readiness assessment that gives us a good gauge of those students that have successfully mastered those beginning skills uh, but then also those students who struggle so that they can receive more support and earlier uh, on. How
2: key is having parental involvement?
1: Oh, parental involvement is hugely important. Um, the Department uh, of Education is providing uh, parent sessions all across the state to inform them about um, the legislation so that um, they can also be aware and made ready uh, for supports so they can offer in the home. And then uh, we in the Barksdale Reading Institute are also working with parents um, around the state to really equip them with the skills to support school readiness. Um, So how do you take normal actions like going to the grocery store and just imbue them with uh, lots of language, lots of meaningful opportunities to build these readiness skills? And parents have a lot of these items in the home. Um, One of the things that we really encourage is just strengthening uh, oral language development, which just means that we just increase the amount of talking that we do with our kids to spur their natural creativity. And,
2: oh, I want to um, stop you right there because that sounds interesting. Are you saying that talking more, engaging your child, will help them read?
1: Absolutely. So one of the huge precursors to reading skill development is oral language development. And parents around the state, regardless of their socioeconomic status and background, um, we say, we like to coin the phrase that talk is cheap, and regardless of, uh, of our bank account, we can all uh, talk with our children and engage them because um, that's the way that students build their early vocabularies and have access uh, to content even before they can learn um, how to read. And so um, we think that that's just really vital. And so, like I mentioned, a trip to the grocery store, when we put things in the cart, describing what we put in the cart, talking about uh, the color, shape, and quantity, all really simple suggestions and strategies, but we find that they're gateways to success uh, later on in school.
2: Michael Cormack is the Chief Executive Officer of the Barksdale Reading Institute. Michael, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. No registration is required for the MDE programs, and there is no cost to attend. Find the schedule online at mdek12.org. That's the numeral 12, mdek12.org. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10, it's MPB's all-new show, AutoCorrect. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about a story or send us a news tip by visiting MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.